Chapter 4 Sokka was celebrating the fact that both Zuko and Katara had come back from their mission unharmed, and that Katara had made the decision not to kill the man that had killed their mother, when Suki walked up to him. This was the first time Sokka had been alone with Suki since her jailbreak, and it was awkward to say the least. The tension in the air was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Sokka, Suki said the same time he said, I'm sorry, Suki. They laughed a bit awkwardly, and Sokka said, You go first. I get the feeling you don't want to rekindle our relationship, Suki said while using a stick to draw a design in the dirt. She carefully kept her eyes away from Sokka's. Sokka sighed. He knew this was going to come up sooner or later, and he was just hoping for later. I'm sorry, Suki. Things are just sort of complicated right now, and I... can't. He trailed off. Suki looked away from her drawing and sent a bittersweet smile at him. It's okay, Sokka. We did only know each other for a week after all. As long as we stay friends, I'll be fine. Of course we're still friends, Sokka said indignantly. After everything you taught me and what we've been through together, how could we not be? I'm glad to hear that, Suki replied, abandoning her stick to give Sokka her full attention. So, now that we're friends, she said, a mischievous twinkle appeared in her eyes. Tell me about Zuko. What about Zuko? He's a prince. Well, I guess ex-prince now, of the Fire Nation. He's Aang's firebending teacher, and he is unfairly both good at bending and swords. Suki looked at him like he was a moron. Tell me about you and Zuko. Sokka shifted awkwardly. This is like Dad again. Why did everyone think he and Zuko were courting? Look, Suki, just because I helped Zuko through his heat... You what? It doesn't mean we're courting! And before you ask, we didn't do that! Sokka's arms flailed, trying to illustrate his point. He was too embarrassed to mime anything dirty, so it was more of a general flailing. But from the expression on her face, Suki seemed to get it. I just made sure he had enough to eat and drink. Suki still seemed unconvinced. Sokka, you watch him everywhere he goes. And before Sokka could protest, she continued. And not like a pack alpha. You look love-smitten. I most definitely don't look love-smitten, Sokka protested vehemently. I look however a proper alpha looks when he looks at a pack omega. Sokka, Suki said exasperated, you're deluding yourself. What do you think about when you're around him? And Suki definitely didn't have a point. Not at all. Okay, so sometimes I think about how unfairly pretty he is, but anybody would think that with his stupid high cheekbones and those golden eyes. Suki made an agreeable noise and waited for him to continue. And, I mean, I get possessive sometimes when other people touch him, but, you know, I have that whole pack alpha thing going on, so... Suki nodded, still not saying a word, presumably waiting for Sokka to talk himself into a hole, which, rude, but, well, it had been known to happen sometimes. And sometimes I think about how good he smells, but that's just a leftover from the whole helping him out with his heat thing, right? He finished weakly, and damn it, maybe Suki had him doubting himself. When he laid it out like that, it did sound a lot like he liked Zuko, like he wanted to court Zuko. And Twee and La, maybe his father and Suki had a point. Suki, do I want to court Zuko? He asked faintly. Suki looked at him, her eyes soft and fond. I can't answer that for you, Sokka, but I think you know the answer yourself. Shit. Sokka most definitely wanted to court Zuko. 
So, I heard Sokka helped you through your heat, Suki said slyly, and Zuko almost cut himself from how hard he fumbled the dao he had been sharpening. No, not like that, Zuko said, and he cursed his pale skin as he felt the blush creep up his face. I just hadn't prepared well, and Sokka brought in the supplies I needed. So, he just brought in supplies? Suki asked curiously. Well, Zuko said, as he rubbed the back of his neck in embarrassment. He made sure I ate and drank, too. I wasn't really all there. The heat was pretty bad. That sounds like a first heat. Suki frowned and thought. But at your age, it definitely wasn't your first heat. You must have just been stressed or something. They sat in silence for a long moment, and eventually Suki turned to look at him. It was actually. My first heat, that is. Zuko admitted. How is that possible? Suki said, shock evident on her face. After I presented, my father put me on suppressing herbs. Zuko explained. He said that being an Omega was shameful and that heats were... unseemly. Suki looked furious on his behalf, and something warm unfurled in Zuko's chest. That man is despicable, she spat. Not only is he wrong, but he could have seriously damaged you, she said, and rested her hand on Zuko's arm. Damaged me? Zuko asked, as a small look of panic took hold in his chest. It's important in younger years to let your heats play out naturally. The Kyoshi warriors aren't allowed to go on suppressants until they're sixteen, Suki said. The small look of panic was steadily stoked higher at Suki's words. Do you think I was? Zuko's words trailed off. No, I don't think you were, Suki said confidently. Your heat sounds like it was normal for a first heat, but you shouldn't go on suppressants again for at least a year and you should make sure you have someone with you for those heats. Someone with me? Zuko asked, and the blush from earlier was back with the vengeance, as he thought of Sokka helping him through his heat again. Suki smiled at him again. Having someone with you is normal, Zuko. Usually we have other Omegas to help out. Zuko's shoulders sagged as he thought about it, but he didn't really know any other Omegas, let alone any others he would feel comfortable sharing his heat with. Oh he said lamely, and looked away from Suki. Zuko, Suki sighed. You know, I won't be able to help you if you don't actually tell me what's wrong. It's not your problem to deal with, Zuko said, and wrapped his arms around himself. Zuko, look at me, Suki said firmly, and slowly he did. You're my friend, and I worry when you're upset, and when you have problems, I want to help you, and I can't if you don't tell me what's bugging you. Aang had said something along the same lines not too long ago, and Zuko forgot that he had people who saw him as something more than a burden. His uncle had been the only person who had wanted to help him in so long that he often forgot that other people cared for him, too. I just don't know any other Omegas who would be willing to help me through my heat, Zuko said eventually. Suki looked at him like he was particularly slow. Zuko, you know me. And Zuko looked at her confused, before what she was offering finally hit him. You would... with me? he asked. Helping a battlemate through heat is an honor, and you are definitely a battlemate after everything we've been through, Suki said as she reached out and interlaced their hands. It felt like there was a bonfire in his chest. Zuko felt warm and safe and... loved. Thank you, he said quietly, and he squeezed Suki's hand. The smile she sent him in return was blinding. Sokka laid down a hunk of meat in front of him, 
This was the third day he had brought the spoils of his hunt to Zuko. This looks great, Sokka, Zuko enthused. It will go perfectly with dinner. And just like the last two days, Sokka looked a little dejected at the announcement. But just like the last two days, before Zuko could say anything, Sokka sent an obviously forced smile his way and left, leaving Zuko uncomfortable and confused. It felt like he was missing something. Shrugging it off, he hefted the porcupine meat and brought it over to where Katara was preparing dinner. As soon as he set the meat down in front of her, Katara sighed. Zuko grabbed the knife to start cutting it up, but Katara reached out and stopped him. She waited until Zuko looked up and met her eyes before she spoke. Zuko, she started probingly, you know why Sokka's been bringing you the game he catches, right? Zuko didn't know, actually, so he hazarded a guess. He got in a fight with you and he's using me as an intermediary? No, Zuko. Katara sighed and pinched the bridge of her nose, as if to stave off a headache. Her hand fell to her side, and she turned to fully face him. What do you know about courting? Zuko reeled for a moment from the abrupt change in subject. It's what you do when you decide you want to mate someone, he answered, not sure at all where this was going. Is that all you know? Katara asked, exasperation coloring her voice. I was thirteen when I left the palace, Zuko said defensively, his hackles rising at the perceived accusation. I was never taught about it, and then I was, you know... He gestured vaguely, trying to imply chasing spirit tales of the Avatar. And I didn't have time. Katara's face softened at the admission, and Zuko relaxed again. Well, the first step of courting is traditionally gift-giving. Zuko nodded. He vaguely remembered Luten looking for a gift for a beta he had been interested in. Katara, this is all very interesting, but I don't see what this has to do with the game Sokka keeps giving me. Katara muttered something under her breath that sounded a lot like, idiots. And Zuko took a deep breath to yell at her. But before he could, Katara reached out and rested her hand on his shoulder. The soft touch made the anger bleed away from him, like the tide returning to the sea. Zuko, it's a very old tradition for the first courting gift to be something that shows that the quarter can provide for the courtee. She looked at Zuko searchingly. Then it hit him. It was like a show game with Uncle. All of Uncle's pieces were laid out plainly, and if Zuko would just look, he could see Iroh's strategy. But invariably, he never noticed until he was just about to lose. He now saw everything so clearly. How lately Sokka went out of his way to touch him. How those touches lasted longer than normal. And in retrospect, the gift of meat was blindingly obvious as a courting gift. Zuko took in a sharp, shuddering breath. Then another and his uncle would be disappointed. His breath control was horrible right now. Zuko, it's okay. You don't have to do anything about this if you don't want to, Katara said in an effort to soothe him. And the thought was comforting. He could let Sokka keep bringing him meat and keep bringing it back to Katara for dinner, and nothing would have to change. The question you need to answer, Zuko, Katara said slowly as he met her eyes again is, do you want to do something about this? And Katara was right. He couldn't be a coward and stay in this limbo, never answering Sokka's courting request with a yes or a no. He should think about it and give him a real answer. He thought of Sokka's brilliant smile, his puns that, despite their terribleness, never failed to make him laugh, of his piercingly blue eyes, his sharp jaw. His face heated up as he thought of Sokka's broad shoulders, 
that he was just starting to grow into, of Sokka helping him through his heed and never taking advantage of him, of how Sokka was there to comfort him and listen to him in his hour of distress, and he knew his answer. Yes, he said so quietly the wind flowing through the temple almost tore the words away. Yes? Katara asked, her eyes widening and her grip on his shoulder tightening. I, yes, I want him to court me, he said, latter this time, more sure of his answer. A brilliant smile broke out on Katara's face, and relief fluttered in Zuko's chest, knowing that Katara was okay with this too. Okay, Zuko, tomorrow, when Sokka brings you game again, here's what you're going to do. Zuko leaned in and listened intently, determined to get this right. Sokka didn't know why he was doing this again. Zuko had pretty much rejected his last three offerings. Maybe he was just waiting for a definitive answer. He sighed as he made his way over to the Omega. He steeled himself and was determined that he would get a real answer today. He smiled and laid out the fish he had caught, and before he could even speak, Zuko smiled his blindingly bright smile at him and said, "'Those look amazing, Sokka. Katara has some of the porcupine meat left from yesterday,' So maybe we can prepare the fish for ourselves and have dinner together. Just the two of us. Zuko's face flushed in the prettiest way as he spoke, and Sokka's heart beat faster. Hope fluttered in his chest like a flock of butterkeets, and he felt a matching flush rise to his own cheeks. Yeah. Sokka's voice cracked, and he cleared his throat and tried again. Yeah, that sounds great. Zuko sent him another one of his smiles, small and private, but bright enough to light a dreary day. Sokka cleaned the fish while Zuko started the fire, and soon enough dinner was done. They had a stilted, awkward conversation that suffered from sudden starts and stops, when neither of them had anything else to say. The hope from earlier that was slowly dying crept back up when Zuko spoke. "'I know a gift in return is traditional, and I know this isn't much.' Zuko said, as he fiddled with a knapsack behind him, wrestling around inside it as he grabbed something. I didn't bring much with me when I left, but I hope you can accept this. Zuko placed a finely crafted silver dagger in Sokka's hand. It was small, just big enough to comfortably fit in his hand, but it had a nice heft to it. Sokka opened his hand and let it sit there, and found that it had a nice balance, too. He looked from the dagger to Zuko, and his heart started beating triple time in his chest. Is this... does this mean that you... Sokka started, but he couldn't get the rest of the sentence out past the dam in his throat. Zuko rubbed the back of his neck in embarrassment, eyes firmly downcast, and said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize they were courting guests before. I've never really done this before. The flock of butterkeeps had officially escaped their cage and were running wild in his chest. Sokka reached out and lifted Zuko's chin up gently until their eyes met. This is my first time, too. A soft smile made its home on Sokka's face, and slowly he saw it reflected on Zuko's. So, I take it this is you officially accepting my courting? Yes, Zuko said, barely more than an exhaled breath and Sokka smiled and leaned forward and gently brought their lips together in a chaste kiss. They spent the rest of the evening together, enveloped by this fragile new thing between them, and as the moon rose, the bonds between them grew stronger. Zuko and Sokka were officially courting now, 
and if it weren't for the threat of Sozin's comet and their confrontation with the Fire Lord looming over them, things would be pretty close to perfect. The setting of Ember Island was stunning, and the safety it brought gave them time to relax. Spending time with Zuko was electrifying. They bantered, and Zuko gave back as good as he got. They would talk late into the night, once all the others were asleep, telling each other of stories of their childhood. Zuko laughed at all his jokes. As he should, they were all hilarious, no matter what Katara said. And things were just... great. But the thing was, Zuko was unfairly pretty. He had never noticed before, probably because of the stupid ponytail, and maybe because of the whole running for their lives thing. But nevertheless, unfairly pretty. Zuko's dark hair was thick and silky under Sokka's hands, and shone so brightly under the sun's rays. It was the perfect contrast to Zuko's porcelain-pale complexion that showed the way Sokka liked to make the other boy blush so clearly. When Zuko played coy and looked through hooded eyes, his long lashes framed his stunningly beautiful eyes. And Sokka used to hate yellow eyes, but Zuko's were captivating, like molten gold, like someone had taken Agni's blessing and distilled it down to fit into a body. Zuko had said he had taken after his mother, and if she was even half the looker Zuko was, she must have been gorgeous. Zuko's unfairly high cheekbones, his delicate nose and his perfect complexion that never burned, even when he spent the whole day training shirtless. And that was just another thing that showed how unfairly attractive the Omega was. Speaking of shirtless, Sokka often watched Aang's firebending lessons to learn how to better defend themselves against it. Today he sat there with Toph, and he really was trying to focus on the moves they were doing to come up with effective counters, but Zuko was shirtless, like always, and he was... Belt was putting it mildly. Zuko had always looked imposing with his armor on. He had seemed bigger than life. He looked smaller without it, but no less impressive. He was more lithe than Sokka. But Twee and La, those biceps, and abs, and thighs, and his general everything. A bead of sweat was slowly making its way down Zuko's chest, and he ached to reach out and touch. He just needed to... Ouch! Toph! Sokka yelled as Toph punched him even harder than she usually did. You can oogle your boyfriend later, she said. We're here to learn. I am not oogling my boyfriend, Sokka said offended, even though that was exactly what he had been doing. But he definitely would not admit that to Toph. Oh yeah, lover boy? Sokka bristled at the new nickname, but Toph continued to talk over his sputtering outrage. Then what have you learned from watching? Sokka had a keen mind, and he was definitely capable of multitasking. So even if he had been oogling his boyfriend, he was more than capable of thinking up strategy at the same time. We all know that the power of firebending comes from the breath, so if you can interrupt their breathing, defeating them will be much easier, Sokka crowed confidently. Toph looked unimpressed. That's basic level shit. We all know that. What did you learn today, besides what Sparky looks like shirtless? First of all, I'll have you know that I already knew what Zuko looked like shirtless. Grouse, lover boy. I don't want to know about your and Sparky's love life. And secondly, the best way to defeat a firebender is to get in close. Firebending can be used at close range, but one of the strengths of firebending, of bending in general, is that it can be used effectively at a distance. If you get in closer, it becomes harder to get time to complete the katas you need to do for attacking. So get in close and BAM! 
Sokka mimes punching someone in the face. You can take them down faster. Toph looked at him for a long moment, her face unreadable. Fine, so maybe you did learn something today. Sokka perked up at the admission. Clearly, Toph had recognized his superior intellect. But you were still totally oogling Sparky, and that is gross. Keep that shit to yourself. She said and stood up and left Sokka behind, protests unheard. Clearly, Sokka did not think things through when he had suggested a beach party to relax, because if he did, he would have realized that swimming would mean that Zuko would be shirtless, again. And while a shirtless Zuko was a beautiful, beautiful thing, lately it had gotten hard not to touch, and he was really trying to let Zuko set the pace here. He didn't want to push him at all, but the whole shirtlessness, the built thing, and the unfairly pretty thing were making it really hard to do. Sokka stood in the shallows, just deep enough for everything up to his waist to be submerged in the warm water, and he watched Zuko laughing as he participated in a water war with Aang. He smiled, seeing Zuko relaxed enough to actually join in. Lately, Zuko had been tense about the upcoming fight, so it was nice to see him unwind. But then Zuko stood up, and his beautifully defined chest was on display, and Sokka felt a hunger grow in his gut. He was standing there staring when Zuko turned and met his eye. He wasn't sure what the firebender saw on his face, but a look of shock flitted over his face, soon to be replaced with a smirk that made the hunger in Sokka's gut grow even more. Zuko slowly made his way over to him, and Sokka drank in the way his muscles glided with his every movement. And then Zuko was right in front of him, so close that he barely had to move to touch him. Zuko looked at him from under those thick, thick lashes and said lowly, See something you like, Water Tribe? Sokka nodded because, yeah, he really, really did like. A small lopsided smile appeared on Zuko's face. Then he said in a low, rasping voice, You're allowed to touch, you know. And Sokka's mouth suddenly felt dry as the Singwang Desert, and he slowly moved his shaking hands out and reverently placed them on Zuko's hips. That wasn't hard, was it? Zuko asked. And spirits! Did Zuko know how sexy he was right now? He must know, right? And all he wanted to do was lean in and... The moment was interrupted when the both of them were suddenly underwater, dragged down by a wave that was definitely too big to be this close to the shallows. He came up drenched and spitting, and sent a murderous glare at Katara. He had been this close to kissing Zuko, and the other boy had been welcoming his advances. But Katara was unaffected by his glare and was scowling at him. Some of us are trying to have a good time right now, and that would definitely be ruined by having to watch their brother make out. Sokka was so frustrated he was ready to yell, to start a fight over this. But Zuko reached out and touched his shoulder and smiled clearly fine with the situation, and Sokka's anger left him in a rush. Katara, I want you to know that you started this, Sokka said dramatically as he walked up to Katara. She looked wary, but she was not wary enough. Sokka grabbed her and dunked her into the water. She came back up and whipped her hair back and said, okay, now it's on. Things rapidly devolved into a water war, and the moment with Zuko was pushed to the back of his mind tabled, but definitely not forgotten. Sokka shifted from foot to foot as he examined his opponent. Zuko's defense was textbook perfect. He left no openings for Sokka to exploit. He tightened his grip on his space sword. 
Well, if he isn't going to give me an opening, I'll just have to make one myself. Sokka rushed forward and swiped low at Zuko's legs. Zuko elegantly brought one sword down to block and used the other to push Sokka backwards. Sokka moved, and the sound of steel singing echoed as Zuko's Dao clashed with his space sword. They traded blows back and forth, dancing across the courtyard as they striked, parried, and blocked. But as more often than not happened, the spar ended with Zuko's swords at his throat. Both of their chests heaved as they stood there, Zuko waiting for Sokka to yield. But Sokka's words were stuck in his throat as he looked at the flush on Zuko's face, at his plush lips. He thought of earlier today, and how close he had been to kissing him, and how much he wanted to do it now. Suddenly, Zuko dropped his swords, and they clattered, forgotten on the ground, and he reached out and cupped Sokka's face and surged forward and shuffled Sokka's back against the courtyard wall. Sokka moaned as their lips finally touched. Zuko's kissing was frantic, like if he opened his eyes, this would all be gone. And Sokka tried to slow them down, giving them time to both enjoy this fully. Sokka brought a hand up and rested it on Zuko's side and caressed him lightly. And slowly, Zuko calmed down. Their kisses were langorious, and Sokka felt dizzy. From the kissing or the lack of oxygen, he couldn't be sure. Eventually, Zuko pulled back, but leaned forward so their foreheads were pressed together. And all Sokka could see was Zuko's flushed face and his giddy smile. I've wanted to do that for so long, Sokka huffed out. Then why didn't you? Zuko asked as he pulled back and as soon as he did, Sokka missed his body heat. I was waiting for you to feel comfortable. I didn't want to push you, Sokka said, as he brushed Zuko's fringe out of his face so he could see the golden eyes he loved so much. Sokka stared as Zuko burst out laughing, a rich sound that echoed through the courtyard. What? he said indignantly. I was just trying to be courteous. Is there something wrong with that? No, no, Zuko assured him, still chuckling. It's just that I was waiting for you to make the first move. Sokka fell back against the wall and reached out and pulled Zuko back with him. Sokka hooked his chin over Zuko's head. Do you mean to tell me, he said into Zuko's hair, that we have both just been waiting around for the other to make a move when we could have been making out for the past two weeks? Zuko laughed again, and Sokka felt the reverberations of it in his own chest, and it filled him with mirth. Yeah, that sounds like my life, doesn't it? Well, Zuko said as he pulled back enough that their eyes met, that just means that we have a lot of time to make up for. Sokka smiled at Zuko and grabbed his hips and pulled the Omega flesh against his body. I like the way you think, he whispered into his ear. Then you better get to it before somebody comes to interrupt us, peasant, Zuko said imperiously. Sure thing, your highness, Sokka replied and leaned forward to kiss him again. The day of the black sun was near, and Aang had disappeared without a trace. Their search had led them to the White Lotus, and now Zuko was standing outside of his uncle's tent. All the ways Zuko had planned to apologize were suddenly absent from his brain, and no matter how hard he grasped, he could not find them. But he was here, and uncle was waiting, so he took a steadying breath and entered the tent where he would be reunited with Iroh. The new Fire Lord has to be untouched by this war. It has to be you. Zuko sat in shock for a moment while his uncle's words sank in. I can't be Fire Lord, uncle. There has never been an Omega Fire Lord. Just because there has been no precedent for it 
doesn't mean it can't happen. There are no rules against it, Iroh said. The Fire Nation won't even let their Omegas serve in the army. How could they ever let one rule over them? Zuko protested. His uncle frowned deeply and said slowly, Zuko, you had Omegas amongst your own crew. No, I didn't, Zuko said confused. My crew was all betas. Iroh's frown deepened. I knew your father kept you sheltered, but I had no idea he had lied to you on such a scale. Every alpha and omega in the army is required to take suppressing herbs so that their heats and ruts don't interfere with their job. Zuko was dumbstruck. A truth of his life that had been taught to him since childhood had been stripped away, leaving a new world in front of him. Who were the omegas on my crew? Min and Adi. Zuko was silent while that sank in. He had been amongst other Omegas, people that he could have gone to with the numerous questions he had, people he could have bonded with, but his father's deception had taken that away from him. I think, Zuko said slowly, that I might not know as much as I thought about my own nation. Uncle Iroh smiled wanly. I feared that that might be true. Zuko noticed his hands were shaking slightly, so he tightened his grip on the teacup. Father Ozai told me Omegas were second-class citizens, only good for breeding. Iroh closed his eyes and took a deep breath. When he opened them, his gaze was determined. I won't lie, there are certainly a fair number of people who think that, but there are many who don't. Or... Zuko's voice wavered, so he closed his mouth and gathered himself before he tried again. Are Omegas only sent to finishing school? Iroh's hands clenched tightly for a moment before he purposefully made them relax. No, nephew. Omegas are sent to normal schooling just like everyone else. Some families will send them to finishing school on top of that, though. Some families also send their Omegas to Omega-only school, but this is not the norm. By and large, Omegas are sent to school with both Betas and Alphas. Zuko drew in a sharp breath as years of lies started to crumble. I assume that Omegas are allowed to be taught bending, too, he said bitterly. Shock flittered across his uncle's face before he stomped it down. Every bender, regardless of gender, is taught to bend. The Fire Nation has pride in those with Agni's spark. Zuko felt tears gathering behind his eyes as he wondered what his life could have been like if he wasn't raised by Ozai, if he was taught to be proud of a secondary gender instead of ashamed. He knows now that he never truly knew his nation. His tears started to fall as that sank in. His father took not only his pride in himself, but his pride in his nation. His uncle set down his tea and drew Zuko into his arms as Zuko started to sob. Once Zuko had cried himself out and was just tiredly resting his head on uncle's shoulder, Iroh spoke. Ozai took more from you than I even knew. He rubbed his hand up and down Zuko's back as he spoke. But despair not, nephew for none of those things cannot be given to you now. You don't know yourself or your nation, but these are things you can learn, and with these new eyes you will be one of the best fire lords our nation has ever known. Hope rose in Zuko's chest. He knew his uncle was right. These new truths were within his grasp. All he had to do was reach out. And maybe his uncle and his friends were right. Maybe, as he learned these things, he could be the fire lord his country needed. It had been decided. They were leaving that evening, and everyone was tense. Sokka couldn't stay still. 
His leg was moving frantically, even as he sat. He was going to have to let his sister and Zuko go off and fight Azula by themselves. They were both amazing benders, but last time they fought Azula, Aang almost died. Every instinct he had was screaming to go with them. His packmates. His mate, a small part of his mind whispered, but he quickly squashed that down, because he and Zuko had only been courting for the better part of three weeks. They were definitely not ready for that. We're going into danger where he couldn't follow. He, Suki, and Toph had to deal with the air fleets. If they weren't successful, the Earth Kingdom would be burnt to ash. Sokka put his elbows on his knees and bent down to rest his head in his hands and took a deep breath. They had been through a lot as a group, and they had shouldered a lot of burdens, none more so than Aang. They had to grow up fast, and he never really complained about it. It was just something that had to be done. But stopping to think about what they were about to do painted a stark picture. The White Lotus, the world, was sending children to end the war. He had no idea if there were so few people in the resistance movement, or if they were just the only qualified people. But it didn't feel fair. For just a moment, he allowed himself to imagine a world where they had no responsibilities. Where he and Katara would be safe at the South Pole with their mother still alive. Where Aang would still have his people and where Zuko would have grown up with a loving family. But the image faded like a mirage when you got too close to it. That wasn't the world they lived in. But maybe, if they succeeded, if they all got through this, they could build a better one. He was brought out of his musings as a familiar hand dropped onto his shoulder. Hey, are you okay? And Sokka looked up to see Zuko. I should be asking you that. You were in your uncle's tent for a long time, Sokka said as he covered Zuko's hand with his own. Then he squinted at Zuko and felt anger burst forth in his gut like a barrel of blasting jelly. Have you been crying? If your uncle hurt you all... No, he didn't. We just had a hard conversation. Uncle would never hurt me. Zuko reassured him as he squeezed his hand. Then he took a seat next to Sokka, their bodies touching from shoulder to hip. You still haven't answered my question, though. Are you okay? Sokka let out a long, shaky breath and said hesitantly, almost as if saying it out loud would bring it to pass. We could die tonight. Zuko nodded once and replied, We could, but we could also bring an end to the war that has been ravaging the world for one hundred years. Sokka turned to look at Zuko, grasping the firebender's hand in both of his own, and said, I know, but the thought of losing any of you is... Sokka squeezed his eyes shut as he felt the heat building behind them, not wanting to cry in front of him. I couldn't bear it, he finished, his voice wrecked. Then we'll just have to make sure that doesn't happen. Katara and I are going together, and we'll have each other's backs. And with you, Toph, and Suki going together, well, there's nothing you three can't achieve. A wobbly smile appeared on Zuko's face, but even though it was small, Sokka could feel that it was genuine. Zuko took his free hand and cupped Sokka's face. The spirits have brought us this far. I don't think they'll abandon us now. Psh! Spirits! Yeah, right! Sokka grumbled as he turned his face into Zuko's hand, relishing its warmth. Do you really think that Yue isn't watching over us? Zuko asked softly, and Sokka expected to feel the gaping hole in his chest open up again at the thought of his loss. But it didn't. It still hurt, but it was fainter, more like the phantom pain of an old wound, fully healed. But the pain was still remembered. Of course she's looking down on us. 
She wouldn't abandon us, Sokka murmured. Then we'll definitely be fine, okay? Zuko reassured him, and suddenly that felt like enough. Feeling his spirits lift, Sokka said, When this is all over, I owe you a real date, not this roughing it stuff. Zuko smiled at him, and his eyes were filled with a warmth that Sokka was just starting to get used to. He didn't want to put a name to that emotion yet, but if he had to, it felt a lot like love. Zuko leaned in and kissed him chastely. Name a time and a place and I'll be there. They sat like that for a few more minutes before Toph stomped over and pushed her way between the two of them, and she was soon followed by Aang, Katara, and Suki. They settled in and spent the little time they had left together before they had to leave to stop the war once and for all.